And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the Gospel of John chapter 15, or if you have your mobile devices, you can turn open or whatever it is you do with them to get them to John chapter 15. Now, in years gone by, as I was, when I was in ministry here as senior pastor, when we come to the Lord's table, occasionally I would speak about uh, the, uh, the true vine, the vine that's talked about in John chapter 15. What I thought I would do for today, as we prepare for the Lord's table, once again, is to actually spend a little more time in this passage. Because what I've discovered is that there's a great deal of controversy about this passage and what it's actually saying. What is being communicated to God's people through the metaphor of the vine? And uh, as, I, as I looked at it and as I uh, consulted different commentaries, I discovered that a lot of it was really unnecessary. The controversy is unnecessary, but the controversy occurs because this is one of those passages where it's really easy to lift it out of the context and misunderstand it and misapply it. So before we get into, we're just going to cover eight short verses today. Before we get into that, I need to spend just a little bit of time recentering the context here. So we know that this is all taking place during the upper room discourse. This was the last night before Jesus would be arrested and then he would be brought before Pontius Pilate and crucified. And as he begins to draw down on the conclusion of what he's saying to this, his disciples, he discloses to them that he is about to leave them. So in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 31, we read, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God has glorified him in him. If God, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And here it comes. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So uh, we can understand how this generated a lot of questions and confusion in, in the minds of the disciples. And so what he does now from this point on is he's told them that he's leaving them and he gives them instructions on how they are to carry forward their mission in his absence. Now, and that's what's confusing about the vine and the metaphor because the metaphor seems to be saying something different. But here Jesus is telling them, look, I am going away, I'll be away from you for a while, this is how I want you to move forward with the mission. I will be with you, but I will be with you in a different way. And so he moves through this passage, and you see that it all comes to a conclusion in John chapter 18, verse 1, where we read, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So as they left the upper room, they crossed the Kidron Valley and went towards the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane is located on the foot of the Mount of Olives. So he teaches them and us through these verses in John chapter 15 uh, the interplay or the synergy between the Father, between himself, and between uh, the, the branches of the vine. But the, not just the vine, what's really important here is 
The vine is important, but it's cultivation. But actually, the main thing that I think Jesus is trying to focus us on here is the work of the vine dresser. So you can imagine having been with someone for, for three and a half years, and then they're leaving, and now you're going to have to carry forward the mission without their face-to-face -face presence, how you would be how you would be confused, you would be scared, you would not know how to proceed forward. And Jesus brings this wonderful metaphor of the vine, and he hones in specifically on the vine dresser as a way of showing them that they're not going to be alone through the process that they're going through. And so I want to propose to you that the main focus of this text is not the vine, or even the vine, uh, the branches, but the work of the vine dresser. Okay. So now we've kind of set this up. So let's look at this. It's presented to us under the metaphor of a grapevine and the work of the vine dresser. So beginning in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, we read, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Okay, so let's stop right there and let's pick that apart for a little bit. So the first thing we're presented here is with the vine, the metaphor of the vine. And Jesus said he is the vine. Uh, but it's interesting because he just said, uh, you know, just a, a, a few verses ago, that he was going to be removed from them. So what is he referring to here? He's referring to that he is going to be present with them, but he will be present with them in a different way going forward. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, um, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what Christ is talking about here, he is going to be present. He is the vine, but he's going to be present in a different way. He's going to express himself through his body, which will be the church. So we know the vine here stands as a representation of Christ manifesting himself, manifesting his ministry, manifesting his teachings through the church, which began at Pentecost, and would progress through histories. If we look in the opening chapter of the book of Revelation, we see Jesus as what? As he's walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which are representative of the church. So what Jesus is saying here is, look, this is how you're going to take your ministry forward, and this is how you're going to be successful. It's going to be in close connection and through my body, which will be the church, which will be a group of believers, a group of disciples, that my father will call. Okay, so there, we have the vine. Now let's move on to the vine dresser. So here is where we need to know a little bit about the cultivation of the vine. Because this is where the confusion comes in, is people don't stick to the metaphor and they pull away from the metaphor and start defining words in ways that they should not be defined. So simply put, the vine dresser is the father. Vine dressers are agricultural specialists who oversee the propagation, planting, pruning, and tending of the grapevines in a vineyard. Their goal is to optimize the quality and abundance of grapes used in wine 
and food production. So the father's job, the fa what the father will be working and accomplishing throughout their mission to bring the gospel into the world and by extension through your mission to bring the gospel into the world is the father is going to be working in a way so that he optimizes the fruit in your life in whatever stage of, of progress you're in. So a vine dresser is a person who prunes, and hold on to this word, a vine dresser is a person who prunes, trains, and cultivates vines. Okay, so who's the vine? Loud? Okay, and how is Jesus expressing himself after his departure, after his, after his passion, his resurrection? How will, will he be gone from the world? Didn't we just read in Ephesians chapter 4 that, that uh, the body of Christ is the church, that Christ is present? He's in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So, Doug, the answer? Christ's ministry through the body of the church. This is the metaphor here. And who is the vine dresser? The father is the vine dresser. Now we come to the branches. And here's where it can get confusing because of the phrases that you see in here in the English translation. The first phrase is takes away. And the second phrase is burning. But there are three types of branches in a, in a, in a vine, in a, in a grapevine. So my, uh, my grandfather was, was a farmer in the old country. He came to this country. And the first thing he did at his house in Somerville was he planted a grapevine. And I watched this grapevine go, grow over the years until it was this, this thing that he built a trestle and it actually went across the driveway to the other side. And you could sit under it in the summer and it would be shady and you know there would be clusters of grapes hanging down. My grandfather was a, was a master vine dresser, you know, and then in the fall, I know I'm not supposed to admit this because I'm a Baptist. I would help him make wine with, with the grapes, you know, so we would get the wine press and make the wine. But there are three types of branches that you will find in any given grapevine. Number one, branches that are well-established, they're mature, and they consistently bear fruit. Number two, branches that are immature or weak or sickly or have become diseased, and number three, branches that are mature, uh, but they consistently over the course of time don't produce any fruit. Okay, so let's, take, so let's take a look at this. But I want you to notice something about verse three. Uh, because this is a, this is a, because Jesus understood that this metaphor would be confusing to both his disciples and by extension to us, he puts a point of clarity in here. Right? He says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So what Jesus is speaking here and what Jesus is speaking about, he's speaking about true believers. Now, just for a side reference, notice that it says in verse 2, every branch in me. And it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, everyone that is in Christ Jesus 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So what Christ is talking about here, he's talking about 
believers. There's nothing in this passage that speaks to unbelievers. It's all about believers and how the Father will work as the vine dresser to maximize the fruit production of the vine, which is the body of Christ. All right, so let's look at this now. Let's look at these three branches and look at the work of the vine dresser as it applies to these three, to these three branch, different types of branches. So the work of the vine dresser as it applies to mature fruit producing branches is pruning. Toward the end of the growing season, the vine dresser prunes the branches that prove to bear fruit reliably. The pruning made those branches grow out even stronger in the next season. And as the branches become stronger, it has the potential to hold even more fruit. In this way, the pruning maximized the fruit that the branch produced. He would do this by cutting the side shoots off of the branch, which would obscure the sunlight from the leaves on the branch. In order to produce the maximum amount of fruit, the leaves of a grapevine have to, be, have, to have unobstructed contact with the sun. So when we look at this, we see in scripture that pruning in similar words is a metaphor for testing, for trials, for circumstances and challenges that come our way in one form or another. I have heard it said that when you find yourself under times of pruning, which are not pleasant, uh, that it's actually a vote of confidence from the Father, and that you're doing well, you're producing fruit, and it's the Father's desire that you would produce even more fruit. So he puts you under the pruning process. The pruning process is not fun. It's not fun. And here is something that you should know. The more you walk in maturity with Christ, the deeper the prunings become and the more painful they become. I'm right now in the midst of a pruning, the hardest pruning I've ever gone through in my life. And were it not for the fact that I know that God is present in all of this, I would have given up hope long ago. So when God prunes you, when you feel the pruning coming into your life, take that as a vote of confidence that God is, is, uh, is working in you so that you will be even more productive in your fruit. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we see it expressed very clearly. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me get there real quick. We read in verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see how Peter prefaces what he's saying here? He tells them they're safe, they're secure, nothing. You, you can never be taken out of the hands of God. And then comes the part that he focuses on next. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. 
That's the pruning right there. There it is. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the vine dresses work with those branches that are mature and consistently producing fruit is to prune them, to challenge them, to put them under stress, to put them under pressure so that they would produce even more fruit in the coming season. Okay. Number two, the work of the vine dresser as it pertains to the branches that is not bearing fruit. Now here is where it gets confusing because in, in probably in your English translation, what you have written in verse 2 is every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If your English translation has takes away in there, would you just raise your hand for a minute or something similar to that? See, now here is where you got to stick with the metaphor and you got to stick with the vine dresser. So here now, Jesus is talking about those branches that are immature, that are potentially weak or sickly. So what does the vine dresser do with those branches? Does he pluck them off and throw them away? No, because the, the Greek word aero actually means to lift up. So what a vine dresser will do with weak branches or immature branches is he will lift them up and he will tie them usually to one of the stronger branches. And in that way, he trains that weak uh, or immature branch to stand, to be able to hold, to stand under its own weight. And so that's what, what is being talked about here. And so, now look at the metaphor here and how it applies to the church, right? You have spiritually mature believers who are undergoing pruning, and uh, the Father will prune them so that they produce more fruit. Then you have those branches in the church that are spiritually immature or weak, and the Father will come along and lift you up because those branches have to be lifted up off the ground because they'll get diseased and eventually die. So the vine dresser lifts the branches up and he ties them to a structure or he ties them to stronger branches so that they are held up and over the course of time they will develop the strength to stand on their own in place. Now let's take this metaphor and move it over to the church. In the church you have spiritually mature believers but you also have believers who, who may be new believers or they're spiritually immature for one reason or another. The work that God will do is he will take you or he will take them and he will put them in proximity to someone who is spiritually mature. Now this requires two things. One, it requires on behalf of that, the one who is spiritually mature to, me, to understand when, when God is bringing someone spiritually immature to them that this is what what God the Father might be doing here. He's going to be putting this weaker believer in contact with you so that you would be a support structure to them. You would be an encouragement to them until they learn and develop the strength to stand on their own. And number two, it is required of the weaker branch or the immature branch to understand that there is a reason why God is doing what he's doing, why he's bringing you in proximity to, to mature believers and therefore avail yourself of the opportunity and of the blessing that God is bringing you. 
So takes away is not a good transition, not a good translation, but the actual, sorry, John, but the actual translation is, is the vine dresser picks up the vine that's in danger because it's weak, because it's sick on the ground. He lifts it up and he secures it. He secures it to one of the stronger branches. And over the course of time, that weaker branch will develop the strength to stand on its own and take its place in the vineyard as one of those branches that is producing the optimal amount of fruit. And then the third branch. The work of the vine dresser as it pertains to the branch that has had all of the benefits of the fruit producing branches and has matured, yet is consistently not bearing fruit. We read in John chapter 15, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And so, so this is, a, you know, if you have a vine that has whole branches on it that are, uh, you know, that are not producing fruit, I mean, what do you do with it? You can't make anything out of grape wood. So they just get them off and they, and they burn them in the fire. All right. So they're cast out as useless, not producing any fruit on the vine. Now, if we take this metaphor again and move it to its pro proper place, what's being said here, in other words, is it's isolated from the rest of the branches so that it cannot impact either the fruit maturing, the uh, mature fruit producing branches or the young ones that are weak and being supported. They're isolated. Now here is where the metaphor of fire confuses many because fire is commonly associated with hell and destruction. But again, the metaphor here has to be consistently applied. Jesus says very clearly the, the, the branches are in him. Right? So it's a reference to, to believers. So if you were to go to Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to 12, it talks about all believers have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Right? So if you're a believer, you've escaped the great white throne judgment, but you still have a day of accountability before the throne of Jesus Christ. It talks about that. It says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. But it's more... It's, uh, it's more expanded upon in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so I want to just read that to you because here is where we understand how the metaphor of burned and fire is used in reference to believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 11, we read, Oh, cool. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. What day is that? It is the day when all believers are brought before the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. It is the place where we will have to give an accountability to the Lord of the church and how we have utilized the great gifts of grace that he has given to us and the talents that he has given to us. Now, mind you, this is all going to be predicated upon our being placed in the vine, our place within the body of Christ, which is the church. 
because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he, uh, but he himself will be saved as through fire. So here, this burning that is being talked about, it's, talked, it's talking about a separation. At a certain point, the vine dresser will separate you from the rest of the vine. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Salvation is, is a gift of grace. You did nothing to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to surrender it. But if you don't stay close to the metaphor of the vineyard here, you could come away from that. And indeed, many commentaries do that. They take it away. See, the, the branches that are, are burned up or the branches that are taken away, they refer to unbelievers. But that is not consistent with, with the context of the passage. Okay, so as I just said, this refers to believers, but how so? Well, just listen to these passages in Scripture. There is a reality uh, that the Scripture talks about, that in the church there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, right? So this comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll read verses 15 to 21. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Now, for God under the inspira- uh, for, for Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make that statement, one has to assume that it is possible and indeed will be true that at the bema seat of Christ there will be those who will have to hang their head in shame. Got nothing to do with salvation, but it has everything to do with rewards and loss of rewards. But shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth. So at one time they were walking according to the truth, but they strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, here here the, the great house stands metaphorically for the church. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So there are vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor within the body of Christ. Not only only that, but you can take that and apply it to you individually. There are things inside of you that are honorable and there are things that are dishonorable. And we are being enjoined to remove those things from within ourselves that are dishonorable. So that's a reality. But there's another reality that there are times when, as we see in the, uh, the metaphor of the vine, that the vine dresser removes branches, we see the same thing happen in a wider context within the body of Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, we read, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, 
according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this is kind of parallel to what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 18. They're, they're set off to the side, and in a very real way, they're delivered over to Satan so that Satan would be used as an instrument of chastisement from God to smarten them up so that they could back, get back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. But this third one is the most frightening of all. And I'm going to spend just a couple minutes here in Hebrews chapter 6 because I misunderstood what something in this passage was saying for, for many years in Hebrews chapter 6. So the deal here is the author of Hebrews, whoever he was, uh, was, was trying to correct the errors that had come to this group of Messianic Jews. Because if you're familiar with Judaism, you know that angels are a big deal in Judaism. Everything, all of God's communication to the nation of Israel were through angels. And so they, tended, they were tending to move towards angelic worship. And here now, they were really starting to struggle with, the, they were struggling with the concept of, of Christ being a man, being higher than the angels, which is exactly what Hebrews chapter 1 and following talks about. When he gets to Hebrews chapter 5, he's, he's getting ready to dive into the whole succession of the Melchizedek priesthood, but he has to stop. They should have been ready. They should have been spiritually ready to deal with what the author was going to say about the, the, the order of Melchizedek, but he had to stop. And so now he brings a rebuke. He says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the, elementary, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance, from dead works and of faith towards God, of doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, when I read that verse for so long, I thought what the author was saying is, you know, I, I, there are other things that I need to say to you, and I'll get back to that, the easier stuff if time permits. But that's not actually what is being said there. What is being said there is that when believers who just dole away all the opportunities that they have presented to them by God through the church in order to grow in their faith, in order to mature in their faith, at a certain point, God in chastisement may say, okay, that's it. You are locked in spiritual immaturity. You are not going to be able to progress any further in your maturity. In a sense, cutting them off from any further spiritual growth. Again, it's got nothing to do with salvation, but it has everything to do with the rewards or loss of rewards before the judgment seat of Christ. It is a serious offense. If you've been walking with Christ for any length of time, there is absolutely no justifiable reason 
for you not to be consistently progressing in your faith to a state of spiritual maturity. Because you see, if you are not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There's no such thing as being static in the faith. You're either moving forward, or by default, you're moving backward. And what happens when you start moving backward in your walk with Christ? Well, you start looking more and more like what's out there. More and more paying attention to what the things out there, what the people out there are paying attention to. Your, your agenda is driven more by the things of the world rather than things of the kingdom of God. And sooner or later, you'll have that Nathan the prophet moment where an unbeliever will come up to you and say, aren't you supposed to be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth? You know what that does? You know what happens? You've just put Christ to shame. You've just brought shame on the name of Christ. Look at what it's in the next verse it says. Why? Why may it be that you may go to a certain point and God the Father may lock you out of any more spiritual growth? The next verse tells us why. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now this, these can only refer to believers. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. They bring shame and reproach upon the name of Christ. That's the one that scares me the most. That's the one that should scare us the most, that we've so trifled with the good gifts that God has given us, we don't take advantage of them, and year after year, week after week, year after year, roll by, and you've not taken advantage of the things that God has given to you. It may just be that God the Father will come and say, that's it. I'm cutting you off from any more potential to grow spiritually. You'll be in my kingdom but you're getting in by the skin of your teeth. And you will have to stand or kneel before the throne of my son and bow your head in shame. That's the scary one. But there is a pathway to bearing fruit. In John chapter 4, verses 15, verses 4 to 6, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So the, the way to understand this is that it is required in order to produce fruit that we have to remain connected to his body. And by extension that means connected to the body, his body, which is the, which is the church. Time and time again, we read in the, skip, the scripture about the potential to move away. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we read, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. This is an a often repeated 
scenario throughout the New Testament for believers. Don't drift away. You need to stay connected to the vine. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Abiding in Christ involves connection with his body, which is the church. But it is also presupposed by his word abiding in us. See, that verse actually reads better this way. If you abide in me, even as my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You can't abide in Christ unless his word abides in you. And it's not just a theological construct, but it's the living out of the words of Christ in our lives. We take those words which are alive, but we incarnate them and we express them in the world around us. And there's a special promise there that if you do these things, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Why? Because of what it says in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So means in this way, we're called. We're, we're placed in an optimal situation. What Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm going away, I know you're confused, and you can see all of the questions that come in those chapters. I'm going away, but I'm still going to be with you, only manifesting in a different way, which is this body of believers. And, and you're going to have the Father helping you optimizing the production of fruit in your lives. And my body is going to become this thing that's going to stretch through the ages. It's a living organism. It's going to stretch through the ages. And it has already defeated the world. And as Jesus said to Peter, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. This is what I have for you. And this is what God has for you but it involves taking advantage of the things that God has graciously provided for you. It involves taking part in this wonderful thing called the church that is the body of Christ so that the message can go forth in this world. Okay, so the vine is the body of Christ, the Father is the vine dresser, we are the branches, the work of the Father in our lives at any given moment depends on what type of branch we are modeling. Are you spiritually mature? Do you, are you in a place of spiritual maturity? And you know, there are ways that you can self-assess that by looking in the scriptures. Well, if you're in that place, you can expect the pruning. It's not fun. It's not fun. It hurts. It hurts a lot. It'll bring you right to the foundation of your faith that time. But it is necessary. One thing I've discovered about severe prunings is they make me more wanting to hear the clarion call of going home. If you're spiritually immature or weak, you know, or sick, the Father will raise you up and give you the best possible circumstances to move from immaturity to maturity 
or weakness to strength or from sickness to health? Are you a branch that is spiritually unproductive despite the fact of optimal time and location in the vine? Be careful, you may be cut off spiritually, isolated from the body. You will be saved, but as through fire. So I wanted to give us a couple of minutes to think about this as we come to the Lord's table.